Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of your favorite animal-related podcast, The Animal Files. We are going to talk about holidays. Yes, holidays. They're coming up. We're going to do something a little bit different because since Miranda is in Canada, we are going to do an episode on Thanksgiving celebrations. Yes, I know it's before Halloween, but in Canada, Thanksgiving is next week. So we are going to talk about it now. And the stuff that we have for you today is also going to help those of us here in the States because it's going to protect your animals there too. Promise. So let's get started. How many of you are planning to celebrate Thanksgiving this year? It obviously tends to be a very big holiday for many households, especially in the United States. (laughs) Yeah, we're a little bit crazy with it. great food <laughs> not to mention the shopping and everything that seems to be oh, going yeah. along oh. with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> although canada is slowly coming on board with that it seems <laughs> you'll get there you'll get there yeah right <laughs> so maybe you're planning to host a friend or family gathering maybe you've been invited to someone else's festivities Maybe you're just planning to have a relatively quiet celebration with you and your family, or maybe you don't celebrate it at all, depending. (laughs) But how might Thanksgiving affect your pets? We're going to give you the rundown of what you should be aware of that could cause your pets stress or make them sick, and how you can set things up so that both you and your pets can enjoy the day safely and comfortably. So... Let's talk about the environment. There's a lot of things that kind of come under the umbrella of environment. Activities, noise, people, decorations, calm zones, garbage, exits. So let's start with the activities. For some of you who are having the larger gatherings, or if you've got children involved, Maybe you are going to plan to have some games or maybe depending on the age if you are, maybe you might have more of a party type of uh, an atmosphere with music and dancing and whatnot going on. So there could be all different kinds of activities that could be going on. And together with that, you could end up having a lot of noise. So you could have loud music. You've got a lot of activity, like just with the people themselves moving around. If you've got kids, they might be trying to engage with your pets. Kids by nature love animals and they usually always want to go and try to pet them and hug them and and all of these kinds of things. Because they're so soft. (laughs) (laughs) That was my inner child coming up. Of course, we want children to have a love for pets. We don't want them to have a fear, but we need to take precautions with that. And we're we're gonna get into we'll we're gonna just kind of go through all the areas that 
could potentially cause issues for your pets. And then afterwards, we will talk about what you could do to mitigate some of these issues and create a calmer, safer environment for your pets. When we have a lot of people in the environment, there can be a lot of busy activity, there can be a lot of movement, there could be a lot of loud talking and laughter. You could have things being moved around in order to accommodate for certain things. This all can affect our pets because they are really attached to routine and familiarity. They're also super sensitive. Mm -hmm. So a lot of energy is coming into your home, a lot of movement into their home, especially with cats, because their vision is more movement based. So it could be overstimulating for them. Mm -hmm. And if they're used to a quieter living environment, it can really push them into a hyper state of awareness and a hyper state of stress. Mm -hmm. So when there's other people involved, it's a good idea to let your guests know that you do have pets if they aren't already aware, because they could be immunocompromised. They may have fears around pets. And it's a really good idea to keep any exotic pets away from guests because people don't necessarily know how to handle those type of pets appropriately, both from a safety perspective for themselves, as well as a stress perspective for the animals. You also want to educate your guests on how you expect your pets to be treated. Your home, your rules. Yeah, that's <laughs> like a really big one. Mm -hmm. That's their home. So if anybody expects your animals to just go away, sorry, no. The cats and the dogs and any other animal in the house has more right to be there than you. Mm -hmm. And you need to respect them as you would the owner of the home. My opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you make sure that your guests know what you're expecting and they do not abide by it, you have every right to ask them to leave. Mm -hmm. And you can even let them know that ahead of time. It's like, if I see you doing something that I've asked you not to do, I will ask you to leave so that they are forewarned. And maybe they'll be triggered by that right at the get-go and decide to leave on their own. But <laughs> but if they're not going to respect you, well, do you really want them there? Yeah. And if they're not going to respect your pets, do you really want them there? So some guests could end up leaving drinks and dishes unattended, which allows pets access to it. And there could be things in the drinks, food on the dishes that could be very harmful to your pets. And we'll get more into detail on that in just a little bit. You also don't want to allow your guests to sneak any treats to your pets. If your pets are going to get any treats, make sure you are the only one who is giving it to them. That way you have complete control over what they're getting. Decorations can be another challenge when it comes to our pets. It's not as much of an issue around the Thanksgiving season as it is around some of the other seasons, like Christmas. But there are still decorations that a lot of people use that could potentially be harmful for your pets. They could be toxic, or if your pet chews on them and swallows any pieces, they can create an obstruction in the body. You won't be celebrating too much if we run into the vet. Yeah. 
How many of you like to use potpourris or other holiday scented products? I think a lot of people just raise their hands. Mm. We all like it to smell like fall. Mm-hmm. Lots of cinnamon candles and just the smell of cooking food. Well, these things always smell really nice to us, but most of these things are enhanced with chemicals, perfumes, essential oils, all of which can be very toxic for your pets because their sense of smell, for one thing, is much, much more sensitive than humans. So what might smell mildly nice to us can be completely overpowering for them, mm-hmm. but it can also cause health conditions. And I'll let you share your experience with that. Uh, yeah. You know, I've had cats my whole life and cats tend to be a little bit more sensitive than dogs. I think it's because our system's a little bit different, but the one of the things that I have learned by experience is there are certain scents that can trigger health issues. I explain. i have always been an incense burner i burn incense all the time i've been doing it since i was like early 20s it's just i always have incense in this house and a lot of incense i chose in the early days i didn't notice anything because it wasn't that much but then as i got into this more spiritual way of living i had started burning a little bit more And one of the times I used an incense called Palo Santo, which is an earthy scent. I used it to cleanse an area of my home and I I just let it burn, the whole stick to burn out. Within two days of me burning that, I had to take my cat to the vet. She had pancreatitis. Scariest thing because whatever was coming off the incense, her body could not process it because just because it's in the air doesn't mean it doesn't get into your body. And we need to remember that. So You want to stay away from the cheaper air fresheners at the dollar stores or at the grocery stores or the pharmacies because your body absorbs all that stuff. In cats and dogs and in animals, they absorb it much quicker. And so my particular experience is I had burned Palo Santo and it made my cat have pancreatitis. I have since stopped using Palo Santo. And then I've found that there's a couple other instances that don't bother them, but it took that one experience of almost losing my cat to realize that no, no, we got to be really, really careful. And at this point, I barely even use essential oils in my house anymore. And if I do, it's very specific ones that I know are not going to affect them. So keep that in mind when you're looking at potpourris and essential oils and you want to have your house smell nice for the holiday parties is some of them may not be good. They actually may be toxic and not just make them a little sick, but like literally toxic. Oh yeah. I actually have another story to share with you that I had just come across a few days ago. This isn't a holiday product, but it's a scented product. And I'm just going to read what was shared by this particular cat owner. She says, I wanted to share the horrors we went through for the past three weeks. We first noticed drainage coming out of our cat's right nostril. It was mostly clear in nature, and she was sneezing quite a bit. We took her to our vet, and they thought she had an upper respiratory infection. We gave her antibiotics and went on our way. One week later, the drainage had increased and turned bloody, and her appetite was starting to decrease. We called the vet again, and they had us come in and pick up another antibiotic immune boost to add to her food. That Sunday, she stopped eating, stopped drinking, 
was isolating herself and I noticed she wasn't going to the bathroom as much. At this point, nothing was helping. She was dying and we knew it. All day Friday, I cried and kept thinking about what we had done differently around the house and that's when it hit me. About a month ago, her husband found these really good smelling plug-in wall diffusers. I immediately unplugged them, opened windows and turned on fans. By Friday evening, Miss Meow was able to walk to us. Saturday morning, she woke me up at 4.45 a.m. meowing and hungry. Her nasal drainage had stopped, she was eating, her balance was improving, and she wanted attention. After further investigation, we learned that several of these diffusers are toxic to animals and that they have more severe reactions to cats because they are at nose level to them. Wow, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Yeah, it gives you a really clear idea of how these products can affect your animals. Yeah, it's not fun, especially when you have to learn by experience. Mm -hmm. It's not fun. Hopefully that story and my story will help our listeners out there. And if you out there, if you like your incense, if you like your essential oils and you have a cat, especially cats, you might want to research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that there's products out there that can be used that can have a reasonably nice smell and are safe. Maybe you might have to put them higher up somehow. So maybe it can't be a plug-in or something, or maybe it's one that's got like a long plug so that you can put it up higher. But of course, cats can pretty much get anywhere that they want to get to. Yeah. Well, the places that I burn incense are about three quarters of the way up the wall. Mm -hmm. In here in my office, it's way up on a bookcase when it's burning. So it literally is a foot and a half from the ceiling and that keeps Mm -hmm. it safe from the cats. It's not in her nose level. And that probably helps a lot. When I burn it in the living room, it's up on, we have a high entertainment center. Mm -hmm. It's up there. And I have one right by the litter box, but it's up high. It's like, again, three quarters away up the wall on my China hutch that she can't get to. Mm -hmm. So all of those places, of course, in the bathroom, it's also up high too, but we don't burn it every day. We only burn it when it's necessary. I love the smell of it, but I'm not going to burn it every single day. Mm -hmm. If I burn incense, it might be once, maybe twice. If it's like a musty, rainy, damp day, but I very rarely burn it more than two times a week. Right. And they're always off the ground about three quarters away out of the well. And I think that's probably part of why it doesn't affect my cats as much. You know, it's up in the air and I always have fans going in the house. So it's just moving around the house. Yeah. You know, and I think one of the natural ways that you can help to scent your home, which I think is relatively safe, is you can make some kind of like an apple cinnamon cider thing oh, yes. on the stove. Yeah. Make yourself some mold cider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that will do it every single time. Or you can bake cookies. That helps too. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you guys know, to give you a heads up, if you want to use it, if you want to try it, but I want to say, use it with discernment, experiment a little bit at a time. But if you like incense and you have a place to keep it that's away from your animals, Nog Champa. It's the one that I use and I haven't had any problems and it's the one I use all the time. I don't, I don't stray from that. It's natural. It's from India and I get the higher quality ones. So if anybody's interested, that's what I use, but please use discernment 
because what works for my cat and what works for my home may not work for yours. Mm -hmm. Maybe spell that out for our listeners if they're looking for it. Okay. It's two words. So the first one is Nog, N as in Nancy, A, G as in George, and then Champa, which is C, H, A, M as in Mary, P, A. And it's from India. And I think it's a blend. It might have sandalwood in it and stuff like that, but it's a very earthy smell. Mm. It's not too overpowering, but it will smell your house. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a harsh smell. It's a gentle, almost like if you were to go into a, a temple or kind of spiritual incenses. Mm -hmm. But again, we can't repeat it enough. When we say use discernment, we really mean use discernment because every animal must be treated as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. Everything we say on this show is just meant as guidance, not as gospel. So, you know, we are giving you information based on what our knowledge is and what our experiences are, but it always comes down to you doing your own research and paying attention to your animals. If you notice that they're starting to behave oddly when you're using some kind of a product, notice that and consider stopping whatever it is that you've just started using. You'll see what has changed. Yeah. Always track back. Yeah. That should be the first thing. If any of your animals, especially during the holiday seasons, come up being a little bit off or they're not feeling well, you need to break down everything. You have to track what did I do? What did we add? All of that stuff. Because most animals don't get sick for nothing. There's always a trigger. Whether they ate something, whether something infiltrated their bloodstream somehow from a fight or playing or even from incense or essential oils, because that's how it gets in, gets in through the nose, that you track everything. Mm -hmm. Don't just accept, oh, my cat's sick, going to the vet. Now figure out why, I mean, definitely take them to the vet if they're sick, but figure out what you did differently that mm -hmm. may have triggered it. Yeah. Cause it's not really effective to just simply treat the symptoms. You need to track to find out what the root cause is. Yeah. Just like your story, they were treating the symptoms, but right. their cat was still dying Yeah, and they found the source and the cat came back. Mm -hmm. So that's... <laughs> That was actually a lot more information than I anticipated we were going to share, but it's obviously was a really important piece of information that we needed to share with you. I think it's one of those things that people don't think about as much. I mean, we all know eating something wrong makes them sick, but I don't think a lot of people, especially if they're relatively new pet owners or if they're relatively new to using scented candles and incense, or if you just got their first home and they want to smell things nice and have their first family party or their first Thanksgiving day party. And I think we forget because we don't react the same way. We forget how those things can affect our beloved little fur babies. Mm -hmm. We have to understand that they are much different than we are. They process their environment much differently than we are from the energetics to the aromatics to just in general, just physically, things affect them much differently than they affect us. Yeah, I just don't think we take that into consideration because we just don't know. You know, I say it all the time on the show. You don't know what you don't know. But when you know better, you do better. And that's mm -hmm. what basically our mission is here is we're giving you things for you to research. And then once you know better, you do better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we always talk about 
just trying to make a 1% change. If that's all you were able to do right now, just shift. When you look at how you're doing things now, what is one thing that you could choose to do differently? Yeah. And sometimes it only takes that 1%. Mm-hmm. Most of us do the right thing most of the time when it comes to our pets. It's those little places that we aren't sure or we weren't taught or, you know, maybe we don't understand the animal the way that the animal wants you to understand it. Mm -hmm. That 1% can just be all of the difference. And if you do 10, good on you, mate. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a few other decorations that we want to give a little bit of warning about as well. Flower arrangements and centerpieces can sometimes be used at Thanksgiving. You know, you get that as a cornucopia. Yeah, cornucopia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you might just have something with like sort of festive fall colors and that. We'll get a little more into detail in a bit on that. Candles are another consideration. Again, candles can also be scented. So best to stay away from scented candles because those are usually chemicals. And if you are choosing to use candles, be aware that particularly cats, it's not so much of an issue with dogs because you usually are going to have candles in a place where the dogs are not going to get to. But with cats, they could become curious and they might decide to hop up where a candle is and they could potentially burn off their whiskers. They could potentially catch their fur on fire if they get close enough to it they could also potentially knock the candle off when they go to jump up or walk by it. So then you can end up having a fire on your hands. So your best bet is to use artificial candles. Yeah, those flameless candles are the best. Mm. My mother-in-law uses them all the time. And we just had a little bit of a Halloween get together, a movie screening for the new Hocus Pocus 2 that just came out. And she had the whole house lit with these little flameless candles. It looks so cool. So if you can afford those flameless candles, you can get that feeling with the safety Mm -hmm. of knowing that it's okay. doesn't matter if your cat gets up there. doesn't matter. (laughs) There's going to be no fire. There's no sense. There's nothing. It's just a really nice atmospheric candle. You can even put on a timer. Mm -hmm. They're great. They're absolutely great. Another thing that people sometimes will use in Thanksgiving, I'm not sure if I've seen it too terribly much, but for this particular holiday, but some people might like to use, or some of you might like to use colorful and festive garlands and wreaths, which could be made from food, plant, or synthetic materials. So again, if your pet has access to these, if it's made from food or plants, then they could be potentially toxic to your animals, but synthetic as well, if they decide to chew on it, they could end up swallowing pieces and creating obstruction. Garbages are another thing to think about. Do you guys use garbages that don't have a lid or do you have one of those garbages where you press on the paddle, the lid opens, and when you let go, the lid just comes down again? That's what I think a lot of people end up having, but some of you might also have one of those garbages where it's just a plastic lid on the top and it's got the flap that kind of opens on either side. Or you have it open like me. (laughs) Or that is that too. (laughs) I don't deal with stinking tops. No, just kidding. (laughs) I've had really good cats. They don't really get in the garbage anymore. (laughs) But regardless, whatever garbage can you have, whatever style you have, I would also add that a lot of times when we have 
family get togethers or big get togethers with friends and families, which I'm going to add still be safe because we may not be in a technical pandemic anymore, but people are still getting sick. So just be careful. But they will take just a garbage bag and maybe hang it off of the cupboard door so people can just throw garbage in. That's another thing that people do, especially if you have a lot of people over. It's just easier because a closed garbage can can get full really quickly. And so in the heat of the moment, when you're trying to get food around or you're trying to do something, you might just take a garbage bag and hang it on the door handle or something like that. That's another thing that we have to be careful about. And why do we have to be careful about that, Miranda? (laughs) Well, this is again where you have to know your own pets and whether or not they are going to try to get into these garbages. I mean, if you train them well, maybe they will not. But there are items in there that can attract your pets. Like cats and dogs will often go for meat bones. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess bones are always meat bones, but... But they they smell good and both dogs and cats eat meat, especially cats because they're carnivores. And if they smell that, they can go and dig into the garbage to try to get that out. So there's that, but there's also other food particles that might smell good that can attract them, particularly for dogs. Dogs can be more scavenger-like and be attracted to a lot more things that are in the garbage than a cat will be. So having garbage lying around, not being closed and not being secured could end up causing your pets to access these things and end up either getting an obstruction from what they're swallowing, or they could end up getting sick if they're eating something that is toxic for them. Yeah. I know there's probably somebody out there, but don't dogs like bones? Well, yeah, but a cooked bone is dangerous. Mm. It's extremely hard. It's extremely brittle. Most of the bones that you will see at the, say, the pet store or that people get from the butcher, they're raw. So they're more pliable. They don't rip holes in the esophagus. Mm -hmm. So they're easier to break down. But once you cook a bone, it changes everything. And that becomes a dangerous thing for your dog or your cat. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think a cat would really chew on a bone to the point where it would break off pieces because they just want the meat. But a dog will sit there and gnaw on the bone. Mm -hmm. And if it's a cooked bone, you could end up having an issue. But even if a cat gets hold of a chicken bone, they may not intend to break the bones. Those bones are really small and they can break apart easily. Yeah. So just keep all of your cooked bones away from your animals. Not good for them. Mm -hmm. The last environmental thing, told you there was a lot that goes into the environment part. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) is you want to make sure you're watching the exits because if your animals are wandering freely in the home and there's a lot of people and a lot of activity going on, if they become overexcited or if they become stressed, they could end up, you know, when the door gets open to let somebody's leaving or coming back in or whatever the case may be, they might decide to run out. So there are ways that can help prevent that from happening, which we'll get into. But if that does happen, the things you want to make sure you have in place is that they have tags on their collar that has contact information for you. So if somebody finds them, they can contact you and let you know that they found them. Also, if they have the rabies tag or something, then they can also use that to contact the vet 
that's a little harder to do, but it is a way to help connect back with you. But the microchip is also really important because that helps to prove that that animal is in your care, that you're responsible for them. So if somebody does try to steal them or, or something like that, eventually it'll be found out, oh, they've got a microchip and it doesn't actually belong to the person who is bringing them in. But the caveat on that is that you have to make sure that when you get a microchip for your pet, you always make sure it gets registered with the microchip company and keep the information updated. Because if you don't do that, the microchip is useless. Yeah. Your vet doesn't do that. You do. You have to register for the company that owns your microchip. You have to put in the information. You have to keep it updated. That it's not something that your vet does. They just install the chip. <laughs> install the chip like they're robots, but still. <laughs> 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 they put the chip in you deal with the chip <laughs> mm. <laughs> I think there's a misconception that they think the vets take care of all that and they don't they might start you off but I don't think right. they would they're not going to keep it updated for you and I'm not sure how well communicated that is yeah so that could be part of the issue as well that's a lot for the environment yeah. But I think it's the biggest part of the whole thing. I mean, outside of the food, but this, I would argue it's part of the environment. But we have to remember that dogs may be better at dealing with environmental stuff than cats, because as long as the owner is there, the dog will feel more secure. How many times have we said this, that dogs find security with their people, but cats find security with their environment? So if your environment all of a sudden becomes chaotic, your cat's first instinct is going to try to get away from it. Mm -hmm. That might mean running out the door when somebody goes out to grab a cigarette or get drinks that you have in ice or whatever, however you do all that. But your cat is going to do what it needs to do to make it feel safe. And we're going to get in ways that you can do that for them. But environment, really, that's like, I think that's the biggest part of this whole thing, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So let's go into the other things, because this is another thing that a lot of people just kind of don't really think about. Yeah. Routine is another thing that's really important to try to maintain as much as you can during these times. I think I mentioned just a little bit earlier, routine and environment are the two things that help your animal to thrive the most. It's what yep. they can count on. So when I say environment, I mean the familiarity of it. Yeah. So do you have a routine for your pets in place already? Because if you don't, you might want to consider putting one in place. If you've got any kind of behavior issues going on with your pets, you might look at seeing if the routine or the environment has any impact on that. Nine times out of 10, it probably does. When it comes to routine, the things you want to look at mainly is their feeding times, their walking times, and their playing or interactive times. If you are feeding them at the same time every day or walking them at the same time every day, and I don't mean like three o'clock on the dot kind of thing. I'm talking about within, within an hour or two. And there can be a little bit of flexibility. I mean, we've got lives, things can happen and that. We just want mm -hmm. to try to stick to routine as much as we can. So when you got 
an event going on, festivities going on, whether you are having it at your home or whether you are going to somebody else's place. See how you can try to maintain those feeding, walking, and playing times as much as you can. That will help to greatly reduce the stress in your pets. And I know that things can get really, really busy with these holiday times that sometimes we might unintentionally neglect our pets because we're so focused on making the meal and getting the place decorated and yada, yada, yada. It's important to make sure that you are still setting aside some time to still play and engage with your pets. This will help to prevent or reduce chances of any behavior issues happening during the activities. One way to do that, an easy way to do that is periodically just go check on them. Mm. And when you do, just give them a little bit of a pat and chat and, you know, let them know you're still there. And then Mm -hmm. you can go back your day. That's what I've done. I mean, I've always had cats, but I don't have dogs. So dogs tend to be a little bit more social and underfoot when you're doing stuff. Mm -hmm. But if I don't see my cat for like a half an hour, like literally, like it, it doesn't take much. I go find them. Like, I'm not going to go an extended period of time without knowing what my animal is. And maybe that's the helicopter mom in me. But when you're doing things like having a get together and having people over the house where there's a lot of chaos, you want to make sure as a responsible pet owner, as that animal's mom or dad to go and make sure that they're okay. That will do a couple of things. Number one, you'll know if they ate something they're not supposed to quickly, you will know if perchance quickly, if your animal got out, because if if you just catch it, chances of you getting them back is a lot higher than if you don't realize it for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. So check on your animals, give them a pat, take five minutes, delegate to somebody else. Can you do this for me? I gotta go check on my cat. Doesn't matter what they think. You're the cat's mom. You're not going to let your kid go off and and not pay attention to them for two hours because you're busy. No, you're going to make sure your kids are fine. Same thing goes for your pets. Right. And, you know, granted, it's like we can get really involved in what we're doing and we may have the intention to do that, but we get so involved with what we're doing that we realize it's been two or three hours and we forgot to do it. So this is my suggestion. Have a timer available on your phone or whatever it is that you use and set a timer for an hour or something. After that hour, it's like, okay, put aside whatever it is I'm doing and go and check on the pet and then come back and continue with whatever it is. Yeah, I could not go an hour. I'd be like, nope, (laughs) every 30 minutes. But that's just me. I have indoor cats. So the my biggest fear would be them getting out. Mm. So I'm hyper aware if people are coming in and out of my house. That would be a big thing for me. And I think it goes down to habit. If you automatically, if you say it's not even the holidays, it's like an everyday, middle of the week, ho-hum day. If you make it a habit to check on your animals regularly, then it's in your brain. Mm -hmm. So no matter how distracted you are when you are preparing for a party or a get-together, they're always going to be in the back of your head because you've already created that habit within yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, being a helicopter mom, helicopter dad, it's really good when it comes to your pets, especially if you're having a lot of guests over because they're not going to be thinking like your three-year-old and saying, oh, well, daddy and mommy will get mad. 
they're not going to think like that. They don't think like a human. So if they're scared, they're going to do whatever they need to do to feel secure. Mm -hmm. And you have to honor that. So make it a habit. Mm -hmm. Just make it a habit. So the last thing, well, it's not the last thing we're going to talk about, but last thing in this particular section is travel. Mm. You may end up traveling with or without your pets to your friends or your family's homes. If you're going to go somewhere and you're going to leave your pets behind, you want to make sure you find qualified, responsible, and caring pet sitters or a boarding facility that is able to give your pets a positive environment for their temporary home. Or if you have the pet sitter coming into your home, then they've already got at least the familiarity of their home and hopefully their routine. But if you are bringing your pets with you, then some of the considerations that you need to look into is that you want to make sure that they have, well, I guess it depends on how far you're traveling, but if you're going to be traveling across state borders or something like that, or provincial borders, you want to look at getting a health certificate from your veterinarian as required. And this is regardless of whether you're traveling by air or vehicle. You want to make sure you're using a carrier or a secured harness for all of your pets in the vehicle. You want to make sure you're packing for both you and your pets. You want to consider your pet's breed, design. And when I say design, I'm talking about are they the flat-nosed type of animals? You also want to consider their health as well as the personality of your pets because this can all have an impact on how they're going to travel. And you want to find out any logistical and legal requirements for the jurisdiction that you will be visiting. All of the things that we just shared with you can be very stressful for your pets. Yes. Big time. Especially if it's a once a year event Mm -hmm. because they're not used to it. I mean, if you have parties all the time, they'll get used to it. They associate things, but the holidays, a lot of people kind of save all their family gatherings for the holidays. Mm -hmm. And that's both in Canada and in the United States. I mean, even right. with Halloween, I don't know how you guys are with Halloween, but down here we're insane. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if there's too much in the way of Halloween parties here that I'm aware of, but Thanksgiving yeah. <laughs> and Christmas are usually the big ones here. Yeah. Well, when it comes to us here in the United States, we pretty much start like October 1st and go to the end of the year. <laughs> so a lot of people bank all their stuff. And we're mm-hmm. going to talk more about Halloween in our next episode. And that's going to be coming out in another week. You know, there's a lot of things that we need to pay attention to, because especially if your animals are not used to this. And hopefully all of the stuff that we just talked about is going to help you prepare not only for the party and for your guests, but for your animals, for their Mm -hmm. safety, for their security. We got one little section left before we go to our quick little break, but I am taking my cat away for her first vacation next week. First vacation. She's taking little side trips here and there, but this is going to be a three night, four day vacation. And it's going to be a long drive. It's going to be interesting. But what I've done is because we've done a lot of shows on travel and whatever, I've taken all of that and I've done what I needed to do to set her up. I'm getting all of the stuff needed. So she has a go bag. She's got a little pet diaper bag kind of thing that we're bringing with her. 
We have things that are going to keep her safe if we have to leave her in the hotel room or the Airbnb for a little bit. We're doing all the steps. I'm going to be calling the vet. I'm going to do all of the things necessary. But I want to say the one thing. My husband and I like to go away a lot. But this trip, it's our first one with our cats. My priority is not to have a good time on vacation. My priority is her comfort. That's how I'm seeing this trip. Her comfort comes before anything. Her safety comes before anything. Mm -hmm. And that is the mindset that we as animal owners and guardians need to have when we are going to do things like traveling for vacation or traveling for holidays and having big get togethers, your animal's comfort comes first. And if you can't do that, then you have no business having an animal. And I hate to be harsh about that, but these are little people with feelings and fears and stresses, and we have to honor them the best we can. If you love your animal, you will put their comfort before how perfect your party is going to be. Mm. All right. I'm stepping down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to add another thing to the travel that uh, just came to my mind is that if you are traveling somewhere and you are staying with a friend or family or which is most likely going to be the case for something like Thanksgiving, but even if you were to stay in a hotel, make sure that you find out what the expectations are of the place that you're staying at. Yes. Because hotels and motels can have different rules and not all of them accept them. So you got to make sure you confirm that they accept them in the first place. Family and friends find out things like, do they already have other pets there? Are they going to expect your pet to be shut in the bedroom the whole time? You know, whatever it is that they do, because that might help determine whether or not you should leave your pet behind or not, or negotiate with them what is going to work best for your pet. Yeah. And if the hotel or a motel is pet friendly, doesn't mean it's cat friendly. Mm. They may only accept dogs. That's also something that you need to do. I know most people aren't crazy like myself and traveling with their cat, but But just be aware that if you do have a cat that you are bringing with you when you travel, hotels and motels, if they are pet friendly, does not mean cat friendly. So keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. So I said earlier that we were going to talk about the risks and that, and then talk a little bit later about the things that you could do differently to keep them safe. But we ended up including some of those things earlier on anyways. (laughs) I know our little flow of consciousness every time we do these shows. So keep in mind that some pets may want to be in the center of everything, but there are many who do not want to be in the center and they would appreciate being able to take a break from everyone and everything. So it's a really good idea to create a safe, calm place for your pets to go. Whether or not it might be in the bedroom or some other room that is, you know, you say is no. And no people zone. Yeah, no people zone. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you might have a finished basement or something like that that they could go down to. So this area is meant to be closed off. It should be something that you can adjust the light on so that they're not necessarily having to be in bright light the whole time but don't necessarily have to be in complete darkness either. 
maybe you can adjust it with a blanket or something over their carrier or something like that. So having a carrier or a kennel or a den of some sort for them is a really good option, especially if it's something that they always have access to, because then they start to learn to associate that space with safety and calmness. Make sure that the temperature is comfortable. Make sure that they have access to food and water down there so that they're not feeling forced to have to come up in the midst of all the activity to try to get some food and water. Of course, the food is, again, that should be on routine, not necessarily free access. So water for sure. And have them have access to their toys and their bedding and all of that kind of stuff that helps them to feel comfortable. The key thing is making sure that nobody else except for you can go down there. That is meant to be their safe and calm space. And no people zone. Yes. (laughs) Again, pay attention to your pet's personality, their behaviors and their communications to find out how to best help them to feel safe and secure. Notice what they're normally like and become aware of when they are behaving in a different way that's alerting you that, okay, I'm not comfortable here, or I'm not feeling well, or whatever the case may be. And then just make sure with all of these products that might be used, that you're paying attention to whether your pets can have access to them and swallow pieces that could end up harming them, either from toxicity or obstruction, or whether they're being placed, like the candles, if they're being placed in a location that could cause harm in that way. And again, with the smells, you know, question to ask yourself, it's like, would I rather have my place smell nice or would I rather have my pets be safe? Yep. Your animal safety and comfort is number one. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a quick little break. And when we come back, we are going to do a little bit of a review of some of the things that we've been saying over the last couple of years on this podcast. We're going to talk about foods. We're going to talk about the plants. We're going to talk about what is toxic, what is not, what might be okay, what might not be okay, and give you a little bit of information that you can kind of keep in your back pocket as you're planning for your holidays going forward. Stick around. We'll be right back. We hope you've been enjoying our show. Our listeners are very important to us and we want to not only give animals a voice, but we want to give you a voice as well. So Miranda and I have created a community on Facebook to help us do just that. We would love for you to join us and let us know what questions and topics you'd like to know more about and what you feel is important to you and your animal. So pop on over to Facebook and search for the animal files community. You can join in the conversation so we can all give animals a voice. And we are back. You are listening to the Animal Files podcast, but of course I think you know that. (laughs) We are here telling you how to keep your animals safe during the holidays. And we're flipping it a little bit because since I'm in the U.S. and Miranda is in Canada, we are doing this episode on Thanksgiving because Canada's Thanksgiving is next week. So we want to make sure that we get on board with helping you keep your animals safe. And this half, we're going to get detailed and we're going to talk about the different foods, the different plants. That can be questionable, toxic, or fine. 
we're just going to run through a lot of this because most of the stuff we have talked about over and over and over again. So let's get into this and let's start with some of the foods. What are the typical foods most people eat on Thanksgiving? I don't know, but they're yummy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite meal of the year. (laughs) What do you guys like to eat on Thanksgiving? I think typically in the States, it might depend on whether you live in the South or whatever, because it can vary depending on the area. But a lot of the typical foods are things like turkey, ham, stuffing, mashed potatoes, gravy, cranberry sauce, buns or rolls, green beans or green bean casserole, corn, glazed carrots, cream spinach, candied yams, sweet potatoes, (laughs) roasted Brussels sprouts, (laughs) pumpkin pies, pecan pie, cookies, salty snacks, certain nuts and chocolates, pumpkin spice goodies. (laughs) Oh my gosh, my mouth is salivating. (laughs) Sounds so good. (laughs) Do you ever feed any of those foods to your pets? Your pets, especially your dogs, might enjoy these foods, but many of them can make them very sick. For example, the turkey and ham can end up leading to pancreatitis because of the fat. Stuffing, mashed potatoes, gravy, cranberry sauce. Stuffing often contains things like sausage, bread, seasonings, onion, and garlic. Those things can all be harmful to your pets. Mashed potatoes in itself is not generally harmful or is not harmful, but when you start to add gravy, that's when you can run into a problem because a lot of the gravy ends up containing seasonings as well as things like onion and garlic. Yeah. Some people actually put garlic in their mashed potatoes, Mm -hmm. garlic mashed potatoes. I don't know if it's a thing up there, but it's a thing down here. Yeah. People love garlic mashed potatoes. I've heard that. Yeah. Cranberry sauce is a risk because it's a fruit that also is toxic. Plus, you know, you've got the added sugar and stuff that has been put in it as well. Buns and rolls are not highly toxic, but it can make them sick if they have too much of it. It bloats up their stomach. Mm -hmm. So if you have a big barrel tested dog, it could turn into a bloat issue. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also the mashed potatoes, milk. Most animals are lactose intolerant. So if you put milk in your mashed potatoes or What's the stuff that people put in them? I don't use it, but sour cream, sour cream. Yes. Dairy causes inflammation in most cats and dogs and salt as well. Salt is not good for pets. Yeah. A lot of these different vegetable dishes, green bean casserole, glazed carrots, cream spinach, candied yams or sweet potatoes, roasted Brussels sprouts. They can all contain different seasonings. The Brussels sprouts may have a seasoning such as balsamic vinegar or other kinds of seasoning. And there can be other things that are added into it that are not healthy for your pets. Candied yams usually consist of spices, brown sugar, butter, and marshmallow. So that's definitely not a good option. Marshmallow could potentially contain artificial sweeteners in it. I'm not sure if I've seen any of that have that in it, but there is that possibility. There's always that possibility. And those artificial sweeteners are highly, highly toxic for pets. Especially dogs. Mm-hmm. Again, pumpkin pies, any kind of pies, cookies, they have seasonings, they have chocolate, they could have certain nuts in them that's toxic. Salty snacks, again, the salt is the biggest issue on those because a lot of people like to have pretzels and chips and things like that. And anything that's pumpkin spiced, which could include drinks, 
bagels, sausages, cookies. Again, there's a lot of ingredients in those that are not healthy for pets. So, I mean, you can give your pets a treat aside from their regular food. Turkey is fine if you just give them the white meat. You don't want to give them the brown meat because it's too fatty for them. And you want to make sure that there's no seasoning of any sort. Yams and sweet potato are also okay. Most vegetables are okay for your pets if they don't have any seasoning. But again, you want to avoid anything from the onion family. And pumpkin is also okay if it's by itself and there's no seasoning added to it. So those are alternatives that you can give if you feel like you want to give your pet something special to include them. Just keep plain. Yes. I call it naked food. Naked food. (laughs) (laughs) Naked food. Naked baked potato. (laughs) Naked naked steamed broccoli. (laughs) Just naked. (laughs) Nothing on it. No butter, no nothing. Just naked. Yeah. (laughs) honestly i actually even order food like that for myself can i have a naked baked potato please (laughs) (laughs) but that's basically what is that if there is something on this list that we just mentioned that you know your dog likes just make sure it's naked just make sure there's nothing on it it's just the vegetable yeah and some of these foods that are toxic We mentioned about the pancreatitis. The other issues that it can potentially create is other kinds of digestive issues like vomiting and diarrhea and things like that. It can also affect their blood, as in the onion family. It can also affect their nervous system. So they could end up becoming unstable. They could be sort of dizzy and not be able to walk properly and things like that. So there can be a lot of serious side effects. Yeah. And I think some of those artificial sweeteners, don't they affect the kidneys also and the liver? Yeah. They're very deadly. They'll kill. Yeah. So let's go to the plants. Do you guys like to add special plants or flowers to your Thanksgiving decorations and festivities? We already kind of mentioned it in the environmental aspect of it. There's a lot of people who like to add festive colors and nice smells to their living room, their hallway, their dining room. We won't go into the smells because we've already discussed that in length. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But some of the more traditional plants and flowers that people have included in their homes are things like orange roses, yellow lilies, sunflowers, red carnations, chrysanthemums, daisies that can come in shades of yellow, red, purple, coral, pink, and white, and Thanksgiving cactus. So this is what you need to know about these plants. Anything that is from the cactus and the aster family can affect the nervous system in cats. These include chrysanthemums, daisies, and sunflowers. And both for cats and dogs, it can also create gastrointestinal issues and depression if they ingest them. However, according to the ASPCA, they say that the gerbera daisies roses, and sunflowers are mildly toxic to cats or dogs. If they end up ingesting just a small amount, like one or two blossoms, they are not likely to harm cats, but they could still cause a digestive upset. Lilies are one of the most dangerous plants for cats. Absolutely. Yes. Every part of the lily is toxic to cats and can cause acute kidney failure and become quickly fatal. So as nice looking as those plants are, either get fake ones or don't have them in your home at all. Not if you want your cat to stay healthy and have a relatively long life. 
But lilies can also lead to tremors, anorexia, and GI distress in both cats and dogs. Carnations are also just considered generally mildly toxic, but can cause GI upset or gastrointestinal upset and skin irritations. I bet you didn't think all that stuff was actually real. Well, guess what? It is. Mm -hmm. That's why we really want you to be safe with your animals. Put them first when you do things like this. Because a lot of this stuff is not taught. Most people learn this by experience and not all of those experiences are good. Some of them can be highly traumatic. There are many sites online. I'm sure you have a couple of places where they can go if they want to look at a list of toxicity for both cats and dogs. And I'm sure we'll have that on our show notes when we get that up for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a couple of poison hotline websites which will talk about toxic substances in foods and plants in a lot of different other kinds of things that animals can come into contact with. Not all pets will necessarily have the desire to go and chew on these plants. And it's not necessarily even a desire. Sometimes it's just curiosity. If a couple of petals or leaves or something like that fall onto the ground, they could just be curious and try to taste it. Well, that little bit of taste could be extremely harmful for them. Yeah. And just a quick little story. We mentioned it last year on our Christmas episode. I have a large poinsettia. Now I know poinsettias aren't typically Thanksgiving flowers, but I have one that I've been nurturing for five years now. My cat Maisie, when she was a kitten, decided, oh, there's a leaf on the floor. Let me investigate this. And by investigate, that means she ate. She ended up being sick for about three days. She barely drank any water. She didn't eat. And she slept all the time. And she threw up a few times. And that was kind of scary because I didn't know that she had done that. And it was just process of elimination. We figured it out. Luckily, and this probably will happen with your animals, but you don't want to have the experience beforehand. She has not touched the plant since. And that was two years ago. So even if a leaf falls on the ground, she could care less because she learned her lesson. Mm -hmm. Now, I am a little bit of, like I said, I'm a helicopter mom. So I also am a helicopter mom to my plant. Every day I go over to my plant. I look at it, make sure the leaves are good. I make sure there's nothing falling off. There's nothing around the ground. I, you know, I'm very, very, very vigilant about keeping the leaves off the floor because poinsettias are very finicky plants. They love water, a lot of water. And if you don't feed them every single day, they will start dropping their leaves. But maybe your animal will be like that. Maybe your animal will never touch it after it gets sick. But do you want to have the experience and the fear of not knowing what's going to happen when they do the first time? Probably not. Mm. So we'll have all of the links for you to look up and listen back to this little section again so you know what to not bring into your house. And if you love lilies, just like Miranda said, get some fake ones. But you're still going to be aware of possible obstructions. But at least I know with my cats that I've ever had, they could care less. Unless it's grass-like, they don't bother with silk flowers. Mm -hmm. So it might be something to adjust. Compromise is the key mm -hmm. when it comes to keeping your animals safe. So now that you've discovered which typical Thanksgiving foods and plants could cause your pets to suffer mildly or severely, and which typical Thanksgiving activities may not be so enjoyable for your pets, 
Will you choose to do anything differently this year? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) If any of this seems overwhelming or all of it seems overwhelming, our suggestion is to just pick one thing that we've discussed and pay closer attention to that thing. Consider the things in your home that could cause digestive or toxic issues for your pets first. And then next year, see what else you can add. And then the year after that, just every year, just find one thing that you can make a shift on. Eventually, it'll all become second nature and you won't even really need to think about it. Yeah, that's what I was saying before. It just becomes habit. Yeah. And you just don't even think about it. Like, I don't need to have things in my house. I just don't because I know that my role as a cat mom is to provide a safe environment for my animals. So I just do that and I work from that space. You know, I don't like to bring things into this house. I don't even like it when, you know, my husband and I traipse in dead leaves from the ground. Like I will look on my floor and pick them up, Mm. you know, and that's just my habit. That's what I do because the space that she lives in must be safe for her. Mm -hmm. And you've got additional concerns with your cat as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's also why I always joke that, you know, this is her house. We just live here because that's how I view it. My role is to keep her safe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what all animal guardians need to keep in mind. How do I keep my animals safe? Mm -hmm. Because if you move from that space, you will make all these decisions. You will be more prone to research something. You will be more consciously aware of what you bring into your home. You know, that energy, people who you invite over your house are going to know. Anybody who comes into my house knows that the house is hurt. Mm -hmm. There's just not even a question. They just know because I'm a helicopter mom. And they respect that. So it all comes together. So the more you practice it and the more you do it and the more changes you make along the way and the more it becomes second nature, you know, it just, it becomes easy to do. It's really not an effort at all. A little bit of effort here goes a really long way. So as always, reach out to us if you have any questions, if you feel uncertain about anything we talked about, if you want to share an experience with us. You know, if you have a story to share, maybe we can convey that story in another episode that we do to help other people become more aware. You can reach us at theanimalfilespodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our website at theanimalfilespodcast.com, which has all our socials. And while you're on the website, you can support us. We got donation buttons. We got merchandise. And we have a Patreon. So if you want to support the show and support independent radio, which would be great because that helps us bring you more content, helps us keep our equipment updated so we sound good, our internet's good, all of that stuff. You can find that on the website. And the cool thing, you can just go right to the episodes page and you can listen to the podcast straight from the website. So you don't have to go searching for us. (laughs) That's the cool part. So just head on over to the animalfilespodcast.com and you'll see all of the ways to get in touch with us and even resources. Mm -hmm. We're still building on the resource page, but it's coming. We're halfway there. (laughs) We got some stuff there. So hopefully all of this stuff that we brought to you today, I know it was a long episode, but this is important information and you can take this information and use it for other holidays. Mm -hmm. A lot of this stuff translates to Christmas, to New Year's 
to Easter, <laughs> to Rosh Hashanah, to all of the holidays that involve food mm. and gatherings. Mm -hmm. This is timeless information. You can come back to it in two years and it'll still be the same. And with that, we're going to leave you for this week. And we will come back with another bonus episode in regards to Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> so have a great day, everyone. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.